Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Friday, October 2nd, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. It turns out crows have some skills we once thought were unique to humans. Breaking down what exactly ingredients like eye of newt and tongue of dog actually are, and Neil Cicerega's latest mashup album, Mouth Dreams, is here to bring you a smile in this tough year, but also give you nightmares. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So last week in a very highbrow segment about butt cheeks, I listed off some traits that are considered uniquely human, among them the cognitive ability to plan things and generally be aware of being aware of things. Well, it turns out that this isn't as uniquely human as we once thought. Crows, too, are self-aware and capable of analytical thought in the realm of knowing what they know. Crows, ravens, and other members of the family Corvidae have consistently been discovered to be highly intelligent animals. In recent years, scientists have found they're capable of making simple tools, solving geometrical puzzles that human children aren't typically able to do until age 7, and if one viral video is any indication, having at least enough foresight to help a hedgehog out of certain death via oncoming car. And now, a new study out of Germany published in the journal Science last week has found that crows are additionally capable of analyzing what's in their own minds and exhibiting sensory consciousness. Quoting Stat News, To test whether crows know and can analyze the contents of their brains, neurobiologist Andreas Nieder of the University of Tübingen in Germany trained two birds to peck a red or blue target on a panel, depending whether they saw a faint light. Nieder kept varying the rule, with the birds told which color meant what. Red equaled saw it, or blue equaled saw it, only after the flash. That required the crows, Glenn and Ozzy, to keep monitoring their brains. They had a second or two to figure out what they had seen and tell Nieder by choosing the corresponding target. End quote. Meanwhile, the researchers were tracking their neuron activity. What they found was, quoting again, When the crows reported having seen a faint light, sensory neurons were active between the flash and the birds pecking the color that meant, yes, I saw that. If the crows did not perceive the very same faint stimulus, the nerve cells remained silent, and the bird pecked, no, I didn't see anything. Ozzy and Glenn's brain activity systematically changed depending on whether or not they had perceived the dim flash. During the delay, many neurons responded according to the crow's impending report, rather than to the brightness of the light. A population of neurons contained information about the crow's subjective experience throughout the trial, the scientists wrote. The birds were aware of what they subjectively perceived, flash or no flash, correctly reporting what their sensory neurons recorded, Nieder told Stat. I think it demonstrates convincingly that crows and probably other advanced birds have sensory awareness, in the sense that they have specific subjective experiences that they can communicate, he said. Besides crows, this kind of neurobiological evidence for sensory consciousness only exists in humans and macaque monkeys. End quote. The researchers note that sensory consciousness is primarily performed in the cerebral cortex, part of the pallium in mammals, but that birds have a different pallium since they diverged from a common ancestor with mammals 320 million years ago. So the researchers postulate this could mean that sensory consciousness is at least that many years old, having been present in that common ancestor. 
Not all scientists agree, however. Susanna Herculano-Hazel of Vanderbilt University said in a critique, quote, The level of that complexity and the extent to which new meanings and possibilities arise should still scale with the number of units in the system. This would be analogous to the combined achievements of the human species when it consisted of just a few thousand individuals versus the considerable achievements of seven billion today, end quote. But origin of sensory consciousness aside, it does seem like crows have this ability and that other birds, or at least those in the Corvidae family, likely do as well. Bottom line, crows are way smarter than our goofy scarecrow tactics give them credit for. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog. Whether you're reading Macbeth or simply browsing a store or bar's fall-themed lineup, or maybe your friends are trying to write a Halloween parody of WAP like mine were last night, either way, you've likely come across some of these witchy ingredients pretty regularly throughout your life. But what do they actually mean? Well, for the most part, despite how witches and brood potions occasionally get portrayed, these ingredients aren't actually literal interpretations. Tongue of dog does not mean actually cutting out the tongue of a dog. The hair as yellow as corn in Into the Woods, if made by an actual witch or apothecary, probably would not have meant blonde human hair, but rather a certain type of herb. Quoting Dave's Garden, Throughout history, commonly used plants and herbs have been given different names based on certain attributes of the plant, its growth habits, or even specific reasons it was used. Common dandelion has been called bitterwort for its strong and bitter taste, blowball and puffball because of its seeding habits, lion's tooth for its deeply serrated foliage, and piss in the bed because of its diuretic properties, end quote. We still refer to individual plants by many different names, their scientific name, which can sometimes differ or change over time, as well as a slew of different informal names, which vary across but even within cultures. But back in the day, say throughout the Middle Ages or in the Elizabethan era when Shakespeare would have been penning the blank verse for the Weird Sisters, the recipes for various tonics and remedies were closely guarded secrets, passed down through the generations and rarely ever written down. So not only might the names change a bit over time due to there not being an official written record, but the names were also meant to be a bit obscure or misleading so as to deter copycats. Quoting again, Back in Shakespearean times, those who were labeled as witches were usually herbalists, midwives, and healers. Their livelihood often depended on their knowledge of herbs and their uses. Therefore, they created secret code names for the plants they used. In some cases, certain body parts were used as code for the part of the plant used in a spell or herbal remedy. For example, eye of would usually refer to a round-shaped blossom or seed of a specific plant, as in eye of newt, which is simply a mustard seed. In some cases, an animal name was used in place of a plant name, just like the newt would represent the mustard plant in eye of newt. End quote. And some other common codes... Heart usually meant a bud or seed. Tongue or teeth was usually a leaf or petal. And dog was usually a type of grass, specifically couch grass. So tongue of dog would mean the leafy part of grass, like a blade of grass. Hair meant dried herbs or the stringy parts of herbs. Blood was just sap. Paw, foot, leg, wing, or toe usually meant leaf. 
although tail meant stem and head meant blossom. Toads were typically wild sage, cats were catmint, frogs were cinquefoil flowers, and rat was valerian root. Those, of course, changed from place to place, so they aren't hard and fast translations. Some also pulled from gods and mythology, but you get the picture. In addition to preventing people from knowing the true ingredients of whatever remedy they were making, the obscure and kind of gross-sounding ingredients would actually make customers more likely to believe that they had found the one true cure for their ailment, as opposed to thinking that they were basically drinking a tea they could have made in their garden themselves. So now when you hear the potion ingredients in Macbeth, quote, Filet of fenny snake in the cauldron boil and bake, eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. You know now, they're really just talking about mustard seeds, sink foil petals, a bit of grass, and some moss. Not quite as spooky as it seems. At FanDuel Casino, we know the only thing better than a win is a free win. That's why we made Reward Machine, the daily free-to-play game that gives you a chance to win up to $2,000 in casino bonus. We've given away over $50 million in free bonuses, and we're just getting started. Every day at 6 p.m., you get three chances to spin the Reward Machine reels. There are three ways to win. One, match any three symbols for an instant win. Two, collect symbols each day for a chance to win weekly prizes. Or three, win up to $2,000 if you collect three trophies, FanDuel has given away over $50 million to hundreds of thousands of people through Reward Machine. So what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Casino app by going to FanDuel.com slash PA3 and start playing Reward Machine today. That's FanDuel.com slash PA3. No purchase necessary. 21 plus and present in PA. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable casino only site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. So once or twice on the show, I have mentioned artist, comedian, and musician Neil Ciceriga's mashup albums, the Mouth series. He has three, called Mouth Sounds, Mouth Silence, and Mouth Moods, that began as pulling heavily from Smash Mouth's All-Star, but have since grown to be so much more. Well, the fourth installment, Mouth Dreams, just dropped Wednesday night, and it is pretty incredible. Full disclosure here, I am friends with Neil, who you may know from some of his other works, like the band Lemon Demon, the Potter Puppet Pals, some of his blog and bot projects like Windows 95 Tips, Endless Jeopardy, and Full Screen Dream. But despite my bias, I would be telling you about this album drop anyways, because it certainly represents the sort of melding of weird internet, cool art, and hope for humanity balance that I try to strike on this show. Now, as I've said before, these albums are a bit more than mere mashups, especially as they've matured by each installment. AV Club describes them as, quote, the comedian's long-running project to create the same effect on the human brain that you usually see when someone reads the wrong book in a Lovecraft novel, except via elaborately sequenced samples from Smash Mouth albums instead. End quote. And from Junkie describing the first album in the series Mouth Sounds, quote, Indeed, the joy comes from the sheer blood, sweat, and tears that Ciceriga has poured into the joke. Anyone else might have dashed off a Nirvana and Michael Jackson hybrid, but Ciceriga takes it deathly seriously. And from that debut, he only got better. 
Mouth Silence and Mouth Moods, released in 2014 and 2017 respectively, only amped up the insanity of the songs thrown into the stew. In one particularly stunning moment, The Beatles' Revolution No. 9 meets Mambo No. 5. The man was untouchable. End quote. Some of my favorite mouth moments over the years have been the effective use of 90s news sound bites, especially in mouth silence. From astonishment over Pokemon cards set over the Jackson 5's I Want You Back, to a matter-of-fact description of the subculture of furries, set against a track that goes from Hanson's Mbop to Jimi Hendrix's Foxy Lady and Purple Haze, as well as Cool in the Gang's Jungle Boogie, and a very quick nod to Yelvis's The Fox, aka What Does the Fox Say, but without ever using that iconic line. Some of the hallmarks of the Mouth albums are audio logos from companies you immediately recognize but never gave a second thought to previously, seemingly endless loops and other edits that mess up when you expect beats to drop and choruses to begin in well-known songs, and the chopping up of lyrics to hilarious effect. Like in the latest installment, Mouth Dreams, when Johnny Cash ends up singing, When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a baby, don't ever be a gun. And, my mama was a train, but I'm stuck in baby prison, and I know I can't be free. All of which, by the way, plays over Justin Bieber's Baby. There's also a completely brain-melting version of Dean Martin's That's Amore that I guess is what would happen if Dean Martin had too much wine while performing it. I mean, there is so much going on with this and every Mouth album. There's Spongebob over Queen, an AI-esque listing of characters from The Outsiders, Spice Girls, Wario, Pee-wee, Weezer, the Ewok celebration song, In the Hall of the Mountain King. Probably my favorite is when the Chili's Baby Back Ribs jingle plays over the Partridge family, and then Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People gets added in, which I'll let you make your own connection to Baby Back Ribs on. And joined by Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and then finally we get Aerosmith's Dream On and a little bit of The Lion Sleeps Tonight. I think AV Club describes this madness best as, quote, shockingly listenable. Or as someone in the chat for the Twitch stream release party described Mouth Dreams, it should have been called Mouth Nightmares. But here's a clip from that Ribs track. When discussing the tracks Fred Hammer and Limp Wicket, AV Club says, quote, Together, these two tracks cover so much of what makes Cicerega so great, from the unexpected sample choices, to the step-stuttering repetition of lyrics, to the moment when you realize he's snuck the Seinfeld bass line into the middle of the song. There's also the fact that the whole thing works irritatingly well. 
From Durst rapping over the sledgehammer horns to the undeniably triumphant feel of the Ewoks' yub-nubs kicking in. End quote. When I hit up the Wikipedia pages for the albums, I stumbled on this note from the last track on the album, Mouth Dreams Extro, which says that the track starts with, quote, sounds which, when analyzed in a spectrogram, spell out, do not trust Shrek, backwards and in wingdings, end quote. Which is exactly the kind of bizarre Easter egg that gets left in all of these albums. Most notably, while the first album Mouth Sounds was themed around Smash Mouth's All-Star, the second album Mouth Silence was so-called because it did not explicitly use All-Star at all. However, in track 9, Transmission, which mostly pulls from David Bowie's Space Odyssey but begins with kind of radio transmission sounding effects and Bowie listing off numbers out of order, those numbers spell out Smash Mouth in ASCII. And the final track on that album also uses Morse code to spell Somebody Once Told Me. And the piece de resistance, quoting the Wikipedia, multiple tracks are embedded with clips from Smash Mouth's All-Star that are slowed down by a factor of 1,728%. The song lyrics are sung in the octave below middle C, making those notes lower than the range of human hearing. To hear the clips in their original key, the music must be sped up by a factor of 1,728%, end quote. How people figured all of that out, I do not know, but it's incredible, and honestly, even without all of those Easter eggs, these albums stand on their own. They're like taking a strong hit of nostalgia, but then falling into a strangely elegant but fully surreal reminiscence or as Sasha Geffen called the first album in Impose Magazine, total context collapse, but, quote, paradoxically comforting. That is all for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go pitch my latest reality show idea, Are You Smarter Than a Crow? I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will talk to you again on Monday.